Meta seeks settlement over Cambridge Analytica, and why 2022 was a rude awakening for the cybersecurity industry. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, Happy New Year. I'm Anna Delaney. Meta has reached a major settlement agreement over allegations that it failed to protect its users' privacy. Well, joining me to discuss is Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor of Data Breach Today and Europe. Matt, it seems tough to keep track of all these different legal cases and privacy agreements that involve Meta, meaning Facebook and Instagram, of course. What's happening here? Certainly, Anna, there's a long list of alleged or upheld violations that Facebook Instagram, Meta have been part of. So this one is a $725 million agreement, which would resolve a class action lawsuit that was filed over Facebook's user data sharing practices. Now, just to jog people's memory, this is about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. That was a big data research consultancy, which has been used by numerous politicians, notably the Republicans during the 2016 U.S. presidential election, and here in Britain, the Brexit campaign. So the agreement has yet to be approved by a judge, but it's an agreement between plaintiffs and Meta, and it would settle multiple lawsuits that were filed after the personal data for 87 million Facebook profiles was transferred to Cambridge Analytica in violation of Facebook's policies. Facebook said, as I just mentioned, that this violated its policies, and yet it didn't know that its policies were being violated. Hence, the allegations that it failed to protect users' information. Now, this is a big action. The lawsuit, the class action lawsuit that we're seeing potentially get resolved via this settlement is the result of 42 separate lawsuits that were consolidated in 2018. There are a bunch of claims. These were boiled down. And the case against Facebook here, which rebranded to Meta last year, continues in San Francisco Federal District Court. But when the settlement agreement gets heard by a judge in the coming months, it could finally resolve all of these lawsuits. So $725 million does sound like a hefty amount. But when it comes down to it, how much of a dent would this figure make in Meta's armor? Well, I don't think it's going to hurt Meta. It's an interesting figure, right? It's nearly a billion dollars. But if you look at the settlement agreement, they talk about how many members of the class there are, meaning how many people will be part of this lawsuit. And my back of the envelope math is that it might work out to maybe $3 a person. Although that doesn't factor in the up to 25% of the settlement agreement going to attorneys. So on a per user basis, it's certainly not going to make any of the alleged class members rich. However, it does stand as a very serious monetary penalty for a company that neither admits to nor denies having violated privacy because that's how these settlement agreements work. You don't agree to anything. You just give a lot of money to make it go away. So it's a lot of money. And we've ended up in this curious, I don't want to say twilight zone, but parallel reality where all of these data breached lawsuits that we see inevitably get settled before they can go to jury trial. Because I think, and legal experts say, companies don't want to allow a jury to decide how much damage there's been. So they pick a figure they're comfortable with and settle before it gets to that point. But you end up with this 
weird reference in these settlement agreements to previous settlement agreements. So in the settlement agreement, they say this $725 million agreement is a lot compared to other settlement agreements that have been reached. Never a jury trial setting the bar, but basically companies trying to make sure that the amount doesn't go up too much. Should you give a jury the opportunity to make that happen? So Matt, how does this rank with Facebook's previous settlement agreements? It's a long list. It's tough to keep track of them all. This doesn't top the charts, though. In 2019, Meta settled with the FTC in the United States for a record-setting $5 billion, again, over this Cambridge Analytica scandal. It also settled here in Britain with the Information Commissioner's Office for the maximum possible fine at that point of £500,000. It's also paid Italy uh, a $1 million fine equivalent over, again, Cambridge Analytica. Now, when it settled with the ICO here in Britain, Facebook executives acknowledged the company should have done more to investigate how Cambridge Analytica was using customers' data. Now, is this a case of just shooting the middleman? Well, Cambridge Analytica has also been sanctioned by the FTC for using the information it had scraped from social media profiles for voter targeting campaigns. The FTC ordered Cambridge Analytica to cease and desist, and British authorities have also banned its CEO from serving as a company director for seven years as a result of his, quote, potentially unethical, unquote, practices. So there's been a lot of fallout from Cambridge Analytica. Will this be the end? We don't know. There's a lawsuit that's been filed in the District of Columbia under its Consumer Protection Procedures Act which prohibits unfair and deceptive trade practices in connection with offer sales, supply of consumer goods. I've reached out to them to say, given this settlement agreement that's been reached and all the other agreements that have been reached, is your lawsuit still in play? I haven't heard back from them yet. So it's possible Facebook could still need to eye a settlement with the District of Columbia. So Matt, has Meta finally learned its privacy lesson? Hopefully so. And it'll definitely have the FTC and others looking over its shoulder to make sure that it does. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. After two sensational years in the public markets during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, 2022 was a rude awakening for the cybersecurity industry, says my colleague Michael Novenson, ISMG's business editor, who happens to be joining me now to explore some of last year's key market trends. Very good to see you, Michael. Michael, you've written that there was a median stock price drop of 40% among the 32 publicly traded firms that derive much of their revenue from cybersecurity. Could you talk about the reasons behind this steep drop and any highlights you want to draw to our attention? Absolutely. And then thank you for having me. So investors really shifted their priorities between 2021 and 2022. 2021 was about growth at all costs. So they liked companies with high double digit, triple digit growth rates weren't really concerned if the companies were losing money and maybe even were having to spend $3 to make $1. They just wanted to see that high top line growth. 2022 is a very different story. Investors became much more conservative with the economic downturn and ideally wanted to invest in companies that had a broad product portfolio and were making lots of money today. If they weren't making money today, at least had a path to be making money in the near future. So the challenge for the cybersecurity industry is that there's very few companies that actually make money. Checkpoint makes a lot of money, close to a billion dollars a year. They've been doing that for many years. Fortinet makes some money, not, not as much as Checkpoint, but they're also growing faster. And then that's really about it. There's 
companies like know before they make a small amount, but most cybersecurity companies operate at a loss. And the agreement they essentially had with investors is that they would grow their way to profitability, kind of like Amazon was able to as they moved from logistics into cloud computing. I think from an investor standpoint, that deals off. They've seen outside of security what's happened with companies like Uber and Airbnb, Instacart, who kept saying, like, once we get big enough, we're going to make money. And they got big, but they never made money. So this has made it really tough for cybersecurity companies. And for that reason, we saw a lot of folks who saw the stock price go up 200, 300, 400 percent in 2020 or 2021, then subsequently have the stock price fall by 60, 65, 70 percent in 2022, because investors really want something different this time around. Michael, does any of this surprise you? Some of it does surprise me because I think there's some really good companies with technology that's well regarded by customers, technology that analysts say is industry leading, who still saw major bites into their stock price. So to talk about a few companies here, I mean, Okta was down nearly 70%. That wasn't hugely surprising. The Okta Zero acquisition was very expensive. Investors didn't like that. And then they've been open about some integration challenges there, in addition to having some a couple of security incidents over the course of the year. So Maybe Okta was less surprising, but to see a company like Zscaler losing more than 65% of its valuation, I mean, they're the clear leader in Secure Web Gateway. Blue Coat's increasingly becoming irrelevant as it's part of Broadcom now. So they're a clear category leader in that. They're a well-run company, high growth rates, good fit in the large enterprise. There's other companies that do security service edge or SASE, but nobody really with that same focus on secure web gateways as Zscaler. So maybe a little surprising to see them drop that much. Sentinel One as well, who had done so well in 2021, biggest IPO ever to be down nearly 73%. There I know there's some challenges around path to profitability, but again, well-regarded technology and a very loyal customer base in the mid-market. So there are some companies who, and I guess I want to be clear on that, that even though these stock prices went down pretty heavily, I would still consider a lot of these good companies. These are companies with high growth rates, loyal customers, customer bases, well-regarded technology. So I think there is an opportunity for a bounce back as the light at the end of the tunnel becomes more visible. And what does this all mean for 2023? How do you think these figures will shape market trends in the new year? I think this is going to have an enormous impact on acquisitions. And that's on two fronts. So first would be what are called take private deals, where private equity firms come and scoop up public companies take them private. Homo Bravo has been very aggressive in this. They, in 2022, bought SailPoint, Ping Identity, and are under agreement to buy Fortrack. And then we saw Vista Equity Partners go under agreement to buy No Before. I think we're going to see a lot more of this in 2023. There's just tremendous value to be had if you look at these valuations. I mean, typically, in order to take a company private, you're going to need to pay 50 to 100% more. So this, you sent the one, for example, they at the end of 2021 were worth around $17 billion. The end of 2022, they're worth just $4 billion. So if Toma Bravo or somebody else offers to pay $8 billion to buy Sentinel One, they're getting them at a fraction of what they would have cost 12 months ago. But at the same time, investors would probably be open to that because they want to cut their losses and they're not really sure when the market's going to rebound. So I think there's a lot of value to be had. We saw Toma Bravo raise $34 billion at the end of 2022, and there's certainly a good chance that they could spend that on cybersecurity. The other piece of this is around strategic acquisitions, which is essentially with big cybersecurity companies or public ones buying smaller ones, smaller security startups. And that really has slowed down. I mean, the biggest deal we saw all of last year was Sentinel One buying the TiVo Networks all the way back in March. And that was really before the slowdown took place. 
And I think that's going to be muted. We did see Palo Alto Networks buy Center Security at the end of 2022. They're obviously a big company, but given that these companies are worth 50, 70% less than they were a year ago, I think there's very little investor appetite for doing significant M&A. And I think that honestly, some of these companies couldn't afford to. So what does this mean for the whole cadre of startups that we're potentially considering M&A as a path of exit? It's harder for them to raise money. It's also harder for them to exit via acquisition. So I really think it's going to leave a lot of startups between a rock and a hard place, the slowdown in strategic acquisition activity. Well, let's see what the year ahead brings. Michael, thank you so much for this analysis. You're very welcome, Anna. Thanks for the time. And finally, false positives continue to be a challenge for SOC analysts. Nat Smith, Senior Director Analyst at Gartner, the global research and advisory company, is calling for a paradigm shift in the SOC. He says that over the past few years, we've become embroiled with the concept of false positives as a means to distinguish which vendor is better than which. So rather than looking at the individual players or the individual setting, he says, analysts need to look at the bigger picture, and that requires a different kind of skill set. I asked him to expand on what needs to change. This is looking at the bigger picture kind of an approach. And I think that it's an infrastructure change that needs to happen first in many cases. So the security leaders themselves, rather than looking at, ah, I need to get a different individual or a different skill set here, need to change the way that the, the process works uh, within the SOC. Instead of so much focus, and, and I don't want to say that there is things that this is absolutely changes that need to make sense because every organization is a little bit different and has their own play on this. But fundamentally, instead of looking at something that comes in, an alert comes in and validating whether or not that alert is accurate, we should be looking, and by the way, when I say that, I mean looking at the details, the context, maybe the data, the forensic that's behind that to determine whether it's accurate. We need to look at the full scale, everything else that we would expect and look to see if we see some of these clues. And that's the starting point. If we see some of these other clues, it starts to validate. This is a real activity, a real sequence that's starting to happen. And by the way, now we're also focusing and know where to start to look for things, as opposed to what we do today, where maybe we'll We'll get a file and we'll take it and we'll put it in the sandbox and we'll decide, did we actually see something that was malicious there? Or we'll drop a file into something like Wireshark, which starts to pull out all of the protocols and look to see, oh, yes, we can validate. That's good and nice, but it's not the best and the, the highest priority that should happen. Whereas if we start to look at the longer sequence of things, we'll start to see some of the lateral movement. We'll start to see how did it actually get in in the first place, which may not have been a big event or a big alert, but is something that we absolutely need to shut down. It also starts to help us figure out very quickly, where else do we need to start making some fixes and um, mitigating or remediating some of those pieces? All of those things, we get so focused on the front of, is this alert right or wrong, that we're not looking at probably the bigger opportunity where we can shut things down very quickly, even if we don't understand exactly how a payload was delivered and impacted our systems. We are able to stop, block, and keep things in place by looking for those bigger pictures. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. 